0: Welcome back to another episode of The Kitchen Table. Grab yourself a cold beverage, light you up a good cigar, sit back and enjoy the show. of the uh, chemical of the month, which is chlorine. So we're going to be profiling that. We're going to be talking about its usages, response objectives, mainly for um, operation level first in guys. But we're going to talk some tech stuff, too. We're going to break down the physical chemical properties of chlorine. We feel here that the more you know about chemical, the more you know about your enemy, if we, if we take this into kind of a a military type scenario, the more you know about your enemy, the more likelihood you have of a positive outcome to defeat that enemy. So the more we can learn about the physical chemical properties of substances, the better chance we have at a positive mitigation And a positive outcome. And that's the whole purpose behind anything that we do, right? Is to make a positive outcome out of something. We never want to make the situation worse. The other thing that's kind of special about this episode is once I finish uh, profiling chlorine for you guys, um, we have a special guest that I had the privilege of having on the show, uh, along with uh, my co-host, Roman Lopez, uh, Mr. Mike Monaco from the Hazmat Guys. A lot of you listeners here will know who the Hazmat guys are. Um, some of you that don't, you need to look them up on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. They've got a podcast that they've been doing. I think Mike talks about it um, for the last five years or so. 350 plus episodes. And these are the experts. These, Mike Monaco and Bobby Southson, are the guys that kind of lit the fire under me, gave me the inspiration to pursue hazmat in the way that I do the way they teach it is is uh, outstanding so that's what's special about this episode is that once I finish profiling here you guys will hear the interview that Roman and I got to do with uh, Mr. Mike Monaco he is an FDNY firefighter he's on the hazmat team up there hazmat one I believe I could be wrong on this actual unit but it was um July 4th I got to talk to him uh, we got to talk to him, and he was actually on duty, so the uh, the interview is only about 30, 37 minutes long. Um, and we were afraid that he was going to catch a run or something like that, but but he never did, so that was good. But it's really refreshing if you guys take a listen to some of the things that he says. Now this is the expert saying these things about certain topics that we're going to talk about when, when you hear him, and take heed that this is the expert that is saying that, not you know me, not bob down the road not not the guy that just got his certification yesterday this is a guy that's been in the business been in not only hazmat but the fire service for a long time and they are considered one of the top instructors around the nation so that'll be interesting i hope you guys stick around and listen to that it'll be the last uh, half of this show here but we're going to move into our chemical of the month chlorine why didn't we pick chlorine this month if any of you are on social media or even YouTube or anything out there, you've probably seen an incident in the country of Jordan where they had a what they called a chlorine explosion. You can use whatever term that you want to describe what happened at that incident. But the truth of the matter is, is that they had um, a large container, which I'm going to use terms if you're not familiar with them, send me a message. I'll explain everything to you. So if I start talking over anyone's head, please don't be afraid to uh, send me a message on Facebook or Instagram or wherever and say, hey, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, man. Can you dumb it down for me? And I will. So in this incident in the country of Jordan, they were at a port. They were loading uh, these containers called intermodals, which are large transport containers. This particular container uh, contained 25 tons of chlorine and they were loading it from, from the dock onto the ship and they were using a crane and It got about, they lifted it, they started moving it over the ship, um, I would probably guess it was 35 feet or so, maybe 40 feet in the air it appears in the video that the cable snapped or something came loose dropping that intermodal container with 25 tons of chlorine onto the barge um, and causing a magnetic horrendous because it did kill up to I believe 13 people and injured 250 a horrendous incident Um, but the video is actually outstanding because you get to see a lot of these physical and chemical properties of this chemical we call chlorine Um, you'll see how it settles down you'll see the color of it you see how it doesn't just dissipate right away and it just lingers around so if you haven't seen that video, you can find it on our Facebook page. I've posted it there. You can find it, again, on YouTube. You can find it at just about anywhere. But I highly recommend that you um, check it out because it is as sad as it is because many people died during this incident. It's something to learn from, right? We can use it as a learning tool. So what else about chlorine? Chlorine has a lot of actual common uses around the world it's found normally in a, in a gaseous form, um, the formula for chlorine is Cl2, right, actually the formula for chlorine is Cl, but it's a diatomic chemical, so it, it can't, it can't leave, live singularly, so it's kind of like O2, right, oxygen two, but, um, so anyways, that's called a diatomic chemical, and it, it Cl2 is the formula, It's a non metallic element and it belongs to the halogen family on the periodic table. Now, I'm going to talk about the periodic table here in a little bit. Not going to get into a bunch of deep chemistry stuff to you, but I'm going to kind of give you a tip and trick that if you can remember certain things and where they are on that periodic table, it will help you in your response and finding out hazards of certain chemicals right so it belongs to that halogen family so so what what other chemicals belong to that halogen family well some really nasty ones do fluorine bromine iodine freon these are chemicals that belong in there and they all have very similar hazards as a matter of fact anyone knows of fluorine right fluorine is extremely bad extremely extremely bad We start talking about HF as we will do. um, Matter of fact, Roman and I are doing a class this month on HF, um, fluorine. And so anyways, going back to it, chlorine belongs to that family on the periodic table. It's used mainly, chlorine is used mainly as a sanitizer and disinfectant, right? And everyone's probably familiar with it. Oh yeah, you know, we've got it at the water treatment plant. They put it in the water. Absolutely. They put it in the water to keep, uh, bacteria and, and all kinds of things from growing in the pipes and in the water and the, that we can have um, drinking water that doesn't make us sick right um, it's also used in bleach but there's also other things that it's used in that most people don't even understand like it's used in the manufacturing of paper and cloth did you know that it's used in the manufacture of paper to, to, to make the paper white You know, it's also used in in many pesticides. And if it's not strictly chlorine, it's a chlorinated compound that when, you know, improperly used or mixed or heated will release chlorine. And so that's why, excuse me, I wanted to talk about it because there is so many uses out there for chlorine that people don't even understand. 85% of all pharmaceutical drugs either use chlorine or chlorinated compounds. 85% 85% of all pharmaceutical drugs. That's a large number. So, knowing our enemy, knowing its physical and chemical properties, knowing the signs and symptoms of, a chemi- uh, of chlorine exposure, knowing how to treat it—it's um—it's important, right? What else? PVC, right? Polyvinyl chloride, chlorinated compound. Excuse me as I'm I'm drinking my third or fourth cup of coffee this morning. So good stuff. It's Pete's. Anyone ever have Pete's coffee? Um, Outstanding stuff. I love it. So I gave you a bunch of uses. 85% of all pharmaceuticals. Manufacturing of paper and cloth. Pesticides. Disinfectants. Bleaches. Pool supplies. Spa supplies. I mean, you name it. um, It's there. Relating it something that's very recent to us. Think about this old pandemic thing, right? What were we trying to do during this entire time and still some are still doing it and we all should, but to a certain extent. Um, you know, we're trying to clean and disinfect and everything like that. Chlorine, bleach, whatever concentration you want to talk about, is being used, so it's out there, it's around us all the time. So let's get into the physical and chemical properties of it, right? We're gonna break it down and then I'll Talk about why is any of that even important to you? Because at the end of the day, you need to know how to respond to it, what PPE to use, and if and what you can do about it. So let's dive in. I already told you, right? The formula was Cl two. It's diatomic. It has an ideal H, immediately deadly to life and health, of ten parts per million that's extremely low for any of my listeners out there that's extremely low that means 10 parts per million what does 10 parts per million mean? okay take a jar fill it up with 1 million marbles now remove 10 of those marbles and that's the IDLH of chlorine that's how much that is immediately deadly to life and health there's another definition We'll talk. About. you can talk about 30 minutes whatever but all I want you to know is that IDLH and for us responders what does IDLH mean what I just gave you the definition but what does it mean to you it means it means we've got to actually seriously protect ourselves with our PPE and, and if we do not have to be in an IDLH atmosphere we don't need to be there and if we do have to be there for any amount of time we must select the proper respiratory protection and our dermal protection, whether it would be some kind of soup, right? So H is very important. 10 parts per million on chlorine, super low. Well, what about these the, a TWA time-weighted average? How long can the average person be exposed to this? Eight hours a day, 40 hours a work week. What is what is that? Well, you're gonna find different numbers depending on what source you find out there. But the numbers that are out there are either the ones that I use and, and my team uses. Roman will probably agree. We, we go with NIOSH and or OSHA, right? And then we always lean toward the conservative side. So for those numbers, that's 0.5 parts per million and one part per million. That's OSHA and NIOSH there. What does that mean? I just gave you that example of a jar with a million marbles in it. You are allowed to be exposed half of one of those marbles eight hours a day for 40 hours a week that's not very much that's not very much right so the whole point of that i don't want to make this uh, doom and gloom the whole point of this is that chlorine has a very low idlh it has a very very low twa so again how does that go back and how does that relate to us responders especially first do first in operations level we've got to set zones If we are going to a known chlorine leak, we have got to set isolation distances, we've got to set up evacuations, and then we have got to get the technicians in there to find out where these levels are, right? Can we shrink? Can we expand? Do we need to go up? Do we need to go down? So knowing these numbers helps us a whole bunch especially as first do you you know it's not something i expect any of you to memorize in the, the back of your consciousness but i want you to know where can i find that information very quickly so chlorine it's i told you earlier uh it's usually and it's not usually like it is greenish yellow in color that's what chlorine color is of. and it's very got a you can't mistake the pungent odor that it has. And it's usually shipped as a liquefied compressed gas, right? So, and if you look at that video, that's what it was uh, in Jordan. Um, It looks, it appears that when that intermodal was released or broke free from its cable, that it probably struck the liquid side and just released it. Now, chlorine is a gas so they compress it to make it a liquid in there so the moment that that release happens it vaporizes and turns right back into the gas because that's what it wants to be and let's talk about how we know that by some of the more uh chemical and physical properties right it's molecular weight is 70.9 that's heavy uh the molecular weight of air which is what we compare everything to is 29 so anything less than 29 is lighter than air right gonna move up and blow away anything over 29 is heavier than air it's going to sink and it's not going to disperse as fast all right so chlorine is 70.9 i'm sure most of you out there are familiar with uh carbon dioxide dry ice co2 right have you ever made that you know at halloween you make the punch for the little display you put some dry ice in there with the with the punch and it's smoking it's sitting right there right have you ever I mean I play with it here all the time with my children just to kind of give them an experiment of of chemistry and how physical and chemical properties work and vapor density all this stuff but I use dry ice as an example because you can put dry ice I put it in a bowl you can start to see I'll use the word vapor but it actually is like vapor like water vapor and you see it, you build up, but it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't even leave the bowl, it doesn't even climb up out of the bowl and start flowing onto the ground, it just doesn't go anywhere, that's heavy, CO2 is only like 40, and I'm just giving round numbers, but I think the molecular weight is 40, chlorine is nearly two times heavier than that, so when you go back and you look at that video with the intermodal that broke free, dropped, and then boom, you had this. I'm gonna use the word again, but it wasn't exactly, but you had this explosion. And if you watch it, there's almost like two explosions. It's the initial release where that liquid comes out. It vaporizes and you see the bright yellow cloud. And then it still goes down. It starts to come up, it spreads out and it looks like it hits the water. And it, it appears, I'm not, I wasn't there and I'm just using my, my knowledge that I've obtained through the years. looks like it has a secondary reaction to the water again you have a larger expansion of this cloud we can get into expansion ratios and all that in a different one but you have this huge expansion once it hits that water and then it drops super low i mean it in the video it almost turns to a yellowish brown cloud but it goes super low and i guarantee you it went to the bottom of that barge why because its molecular weight is 70.9 it's at least twice, right, uh, if, if air is 29, let's just say 30, it's more than two times heavier than air, so it's, I mean, it's going to go down. Now, why is the molecular weight and where we're going to find it important to you as a responder? Well, that gives us an idea because there are always exceptions to the rules. I just listened to a very interesting roundtable last night of, a, of, of chemical HF, but... I don't want to get off into the weeds. But there's always exceptions to the rules. But molecular weight gives us responders. First due responders as well. If you have a meter. Right. You're mission specific. You've been trained on that meter. It gives us an idea of where we should be metering. Right. If I know that this chlorine is two times heavier than air. I need. I know where I should have my meter. I know where I should have my paper. I know where I'm searching for this. Okay. Now that's why these numbers become important not 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 overly important but it again it tells us where do we start metering right and i agree with you like with with chlorine i'm probably going to go in with with papers i might have a meter most first do operations level aren't going to have a chlorine sensor and we're going to talk about well why they don't here in just a second but but you're gonna have paper well if I have my paper up by my head around my mask I may not get that paper change that I'm looking for but if I put that paper down lower toward the ground then I might get that hit on that paper right I might get that color change I might get that that red look that I'm looking for so molecular weight's very important molecular weight is 70.9 ideal H of 10 parts per million very low your REL, PEL, TWA, you know, your time-weighted average is 0.5 parts per million to 1 parts per million, depending on if you're looking at NIOSH or OSHA. Important stuff. Tells us how deadly it is. Tells us how much we can the average person can be exposed. Tells us where we're going to find it if it's or to, for our meters to find it or our papers to find it when we're looking for it. Alright, gave us the color. Greenish yellow, very strong, pungent odor. So now we've got some clues right these are all kind of clues so now we're now we're, we're working towards possible a mitigation issue if we can now we also know that chlorine is a extremely in a it's one of its hazards extreme how am i gonna i'm trying to say this it has an inhalation hazard that is extremely high it's like one part per million right so when we're talking chlorine yes it is a dermal uh, a skin irritant yes it can cause burns and we're going to talk about that in a minute but it is more of an inhalation hazard than anything so we're talking scba all right and that doesn't change a whole lot for for us responders when you get off your rig got your scba not a big deal air is free we can refill your bottles So let's talk about solubility. This is another important physical chemical property, in my opinion, and I know my team agrees. Uh, My my research uh, officer and or tech ref, whatever you guys may call him, the guy that looks up all of my information for me, solubility is huge. And he knows that it's one of the first things that I want to know. Why? What is solubility? Well, it means how well does something mix with water? Right and so we and it's it's a rule of thumb what we're looking for what I'm looking for is about 10%. Anything over 10% solubility I can mix with. So take ammonia for example. Ammonia has a solubility of 34%. I can take my fog stream. I can mix it with that ammonia cloud and I can knock it down, right? I can put that liquid now on the ground. That's a good thing. Also when we get into decon Right, if I've got something that's got a high solubility percentage, I can get that water on it, I can knock it off of you, I can get it into that into that pool, I can have it cleaned up later, I can get I don't need another surfactant, I can just use water. Water is really good with things that have a higher solubility rate percentage. Excuse me. But the number that I'm looking for is at least greater than 10%. There's other numbers out there. Some are higher, some are lower, but I'm just telling you on an average, that's what I look for is if it has something that's 10% or greater solubility, I can use just strictly water and I can mix with it and I can knock it down. Now, I just stressed that I can knock it down. I can, I can knock that clor, that cloud down. Chlorine has a solubility of 0.7%. So it falls below the 10% that I told you that I'm looking for. So what can I do with it then? Is my host stream useful? Decon wise, what am I thinking? Well, let's unpack it for a second, right? Okay. If I can't mix it with water and knock it down, can I move it out of the way? Absolutely. Vertical ventilation, right? Uh, Hydraulic ventilation. Hydraulic ventilation. We can... Put our hose stream up, and we can move. We can push this cloud to a certain direction. I use the word move because push is it's probably a, a strong word, but we can move it. We can we can actually try and and divert it into a direction that we need it to go or want it to go, or we can keep it away from a uh, a certain area that we don't want it to go. More importantly. um, <clears throat> If you go onto the Facebook page or Instagram page, I post this very interesting photo of a chlorine leak from a from a highway tanker that's rolled over and it's leaking chlorine um, to, towards the front of the cab, right? Not the rear. And they have all of these um, either ground monitors or hand monitors. It, it looks like unmanned ground monitors, but they got these fog patterns going up. And you can see how they're using these almost as as barriers and they're they're pushing this chlorine cloud to a direction that they want. And this also allows the technicians to come in and do their work in whatever PPE they selected. I believe in the picture, if you go back and look at it, they're in level A's because they're going to do some plumbing work up next to the leak. But on one side of the truck, I believe it's on the street side, if you look at this picture, there's a, a firefighter in bunker gear and an and SCBA. And that's completely fine. Why? Because they use their meters and their paper and they're like, we don't, we're good here, but we're going to also open up this fog string and we're going to make sure we're good here. We're going to keep everything away. That all comes down to solubility. So again... Solubility is how well something mixes with water. You can be miscible, which it mixes completely, 100%. There's even, if you go into the NIOSH, there's even like 100 and mixes 110%, which I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but let's go back to solubility. Solubility plays a huge role because it's how well something mixes with water. One, it tells me if, can I mix it with water and knock it down and put this thing on the ground? Right? Because I'd rather deal with it on the ground than I would in the air. Or two, can I hydraulically ventilate this substance, this chemical, in a direction that's safer for everybody? And then three, my decon. Do I need, can I use strictly water because it mixes so well and I can get it off of whatever I'm decontaminating? Or do I need to add a surfactant? Or can I just let this air out because I'm dealing with a with gas, Right? So those are the things that solubility plays into my mind as I'm thinking of this as the branch officer and I'm talking to all of my my other personnel there and we're getting a game plan together. I hope everyone's kind of enjoying this. I, the chemical physical properties of, of substances just absolutely excite me. Uh, and, I, and I don't know them all. OK, I, I, I'm, I'm learning just like you guys are learning, but understanding what these understanding what they mean to us uh, blows my mind. Like It makes everything so much easier for me. It makes everything so much easier on, on PPE selection. So let's keep going and uh, let's talk about chlorine's IP, right? It's ionization potential. What that means is basically uh, in short. That means, can your PID, your meter, if it has a PID, can it see it? Can it read it? Every chemical has a different IP number, right? So chlorine is 11.4 EV. And most, the meters I use, use a 10.6 EV bulb. What does that mean? Well, that means that in my PID and guys, if any of you are in my department and you have a meter on your rig that either the hazmat team calibrates or maintains, your bulb is a 10.6. Okay. other guys out there that are listening, I don't know exactly what meter you have. I don't know exactly what bulb you have, but this is what I'm telling you. If you have a meter on your rig, you need to know what the bulb is, what your PID IP will read, right? Because the beauty of a PID is it can see thousands and thousands of chemicals. The downside to a PID is it can't see thousands and thousands of chemicals. Does that make any sense? So speaking for me, and in general, the most popular PID bulb is a 10.6 for two reasons. One is it, it lasts. It seems to last a little bit longer, and it's more cost-effective, right? There's there's a 9.8 and there's an 11.6. I think um, the 9.8 it just doesn't it doesn't pick up enough chemicals because in order to pick it up, it has to be below whatever your PID bulb is, right? So for the 10.6, it can see any chemical that has an IP below 10.6 if the IP is above that like chlorine at 11.4 the PID will not see it and the PID does not going to sit there and go I can't see it that's not what it tells you it just says you know zero it's almost like you're getting a no response well if you're not educated enough to know like well I got a 10.6 but the chlorine is 11.4 of course I'm going to get a a, a no response I'm going to get zeros but if you don't know that and you're just looking at your meter you're like hey there's nothing here right? So if you have a meter, a PID meter, right? We're strictly talking PID right here. You need to know what bulb you use, whether it's a 9.8, 10.6, 11 point whatever you need to know, right? Because they can see thousands and thousands and they can't see thousands and thousands. And we need to know which ones they can and can't see. So our meter will not C-chlorine with a 10.6 bulb. But... But but, Captain Loosemore, you just told me that... Knowing the molecular weight... Tells me where I should start metering. Well, absolutely, right? Absolutely. And that's true. Because... We have to assume that... There's other things. So if we know that we're going... For a known call to a chlorine release... You've got a couple of options um, if you are a first do engine company with ops level guys and you've got a PID I just told you it's not going to see it so your meter <sighs> it's a tool but it's it's not you know it's not every tool um, On the Facebook page, we had a a few about a week ago where there was a conversation that we started. We started talking about meters and and meters are not the answer to everything. They are a tool. So if we know we're going to a substance that has a higher IP than the PID that we have, we got to think something else. So pH paper, that's what I would that's what I would if I know I'm going to a chlorine release, I'm going to have a meter, obviously, because I'm checking for other things. I'm not just going to assume because when we assume we know what happens that it's only this right but I'd also use pH paper so I get a lot of questions from operation level first do engine companies and be like "Well, we don't carry pH paper we don't even have pH paper well, I've got two options for you one is pH paper is fairly cheap you can get on Amazon you can go to your local swimming pool and, and buy some pH paper I don't recommend those at all because for whatever reason I won't get into but you can do that that's an option you can get with whoever your supervisor is and say hey for six bucks can you can you purchase us a roll of pH paper and then explain here why because if you respond to unknown if you respond to unknown odors unknown chemical releases unknown anything if you respond to that you need to know what atmosphere you're going into and your meter isn't going to tell you everything it's a tool in the toolbox so ph paper so back to the ip real quick right ip of chlorine 11.4 average meters out there are 10.6 it won't see it your pid is is, is not going to work for chlorine now there are electric chemical sensors that you can place into your meters and you can re-chlorine. That is what most technician meters have. Uh, You'll either have a standalone chlorine meter or you'll have a a four or five gas that you can swap into an electric sensor in there. All right, so that's what the IP is. I'm going to say it one more time before I move on to the next property. If you have a meter I should be able to go and meet you one day and be like, oh, you have a meter? What do you use? Oh, I use the multi-ray, uh, mu- the multi rate light. Oh man, that got a PID on it. You'd be like, I think it does. Oh, okay, cool. Um, you know, what bulb do y'all use? And you should be able to tell me, oh, we use a 9.8 and this is why, or we use a 10.6. You should be able to. And if you can't right now, I, I challenge you to go find out. And if, if any of the listeners on here have a meter on your rig right now from that work with me on any shift if you don't know just give me a call i will tell you exactly and i'll tell you right now if you're listening it's 10.6 we don't have we don't that's what we carry 10.6 all right so moving on because we're about 34 minutes into this chemical and physical properties of chlorine but man i'm telling you this stuff this stuff is fun to me and probably boring the hell out of y'all but I do want you to remember that the one reason that I started this whole podcast 8, nine, ten weeks ago when I started the idea was to get out information like this. To try and make it simpler for, for us in the fire service, to make it simpler for first two guys, to make it safer for us. Because at the end of the day, I don't care if you work for my department, I don't care what department you work for I don't care if you are my friend that I just met that lives in Germany if you're in Australia Mexico, Canada I want you to go home to your family at the end of the day and if some of this information that I put out there helps you then I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish because I'm tired of seeing our line of duty desk go up I'm tired of seeing guys develop cancer years down the road Um, my uncle passed away from from cancer not too long ago and I swear that I me personally believe that it had a lot to do with some exposures that he had while he was a, a fireman in the, in the same department that I now work for so even though I'm not talking about leadership and management and mental health right now the hazmat response is, is it's my thing it's my jam and so I'm going to get that information out. There might be some episodes, guys, that you just tune out, and I'm completely fine with that, right? But I promise you, if you do take the time to listen, you'll get something from it. And if it keeps you and your crew safer and able to go home unharmed to your family at the end of the day, then we're winning. We're winning. All right, next one. Vapor pressure. What's vapor pressure? A lot of you probably know from your fire science background what vapor pressure is right it, technically it's the amount of pressure that this gas is putting on the internal of its container right it's pressure think of it as just vapor pressure very very simple now when we talk about vapor pressure we have to talk about numbers and we have to talk about a few letters right okay so what we want to do vapor pressure is very important and i kind of wish that uh i had mr roman lopez on with me because he describes it very well. Matter of fact, I've stolen some of his stuff. But, uh, Roman's got a lot going on right now. Um, you know, bless his heart. His wife had some surgery and, and she's doing well and he's, she's getting better. But, um, you know, Roman, our thoughts are with you, buddy. So, uh, ho- hope to have you on again real soon. Um, but vapor pressure. All right. So the, here's the numbers and here's the letters that you need to know. If you look up chemicals vapor pressure and you see a number over 760 millimeters of mercury right I'm gonna repeat it if we see a number for vapor pressure and it's over 760 millimeters of mercury that's MMHG those are the letters right you're dealing with a gas <laughs> okay now if it's 760 millimeters of mercury and less got some options it could be a solid it could be a liquid it could be it's depending on where we are on that scale using 760 as our as our that's gas and everything below is liquid solid and everything above obviously is still gas the the numbers determine stuff but i can look at vapor pressure here's the other one so one atm atmosphere is what it stands for one atmosphere is equal to 760 millimeters of mercury so instead of these guys writing out 14,572 millimeters of mercury even larger sometimes they'll write something like 6.8 atms so that means it's 6.8 times 760 millimeters of mercury and that's the vapor pressure huge that's exactly what chlorine is it's 6.8 atms what does that mean That means it's a gas, we're dealing with a gas, and the higher your vapor pressure, and this is where I steal it a little bit from from Roman, the higher your vapor pressure, the more volatile the chemical, and if you think of vapor pressure as miles per hour, right? Uh, vapor pressure, think of it as miles per hour, the higher the number, the faster it's coming at you. If I've got something that's 6.8 ATM, so if you did the quick math and you did 6.8 times 760, you've got a large number. That thing's coming at you, and it's volatile. And chlorine is an extremely, extremely bad oxidizer, and it's very, very volatile. But if I have something that's a vapor pressure of 12... It's not coming at me so much, right? Slow, very, very, very difficult for it to release its vapors, okay? Everything releases vapors at some point. Sometimes you have to do something to it, right? But if everything does, how does fire work? Think about it, right? Okay, so vapor pressure is, is that. 760 millimeters of mercury or above, you're dealing with a gas. Everything below is either liquid or solid. I told you I can look at, and now you can too. You can look at a chemical's vapor pressure and be like, I'm not 100% sure, but I am at least 80% sure I'm probably dealing with a liquid here. And it's because that vapor pressure's right somewhere 100, 200, maybe even four. You know, you start getting into those numbers and you're like, okay, because we know liquids give off vapors. So if you, um, I don't have it right in front of me. Oh gosh. Um, look at acetone and water, compare them. Has any of you ever taken acetone just dropped it on the ground and see how quickly it evaporates? Take the same amount of water and put it on there and see how long it takes, right? So, and I think acetone is only 180 millimeters of mercury vapor pressure. I could be wrong on that, but I I don't think so. I'll, I'll double check it. And if I am, I will, uh. I will post a redaction, but I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that one. Um, so that's what vapor pressure tells us how volatile it is, how quickly it's coming at me, right? If we think of vapor pressure as miles per hour and is it a gas and or possibly, you know, if it's lower, am I dealing with a, am I dealing with a solid or liquid or a slurry type? Those things, it can't be exact guys. Now, what i'm telling you i've always said it at the very beginning 41 minutes ago is that there's always exceptions to the rules but these things help us initiate our response if i can look at something i go okay 6.8 uh, 6.8 atms i'm, I'm dealing with a gas guess what i'm already in my mind already in my mind i'm like okay i can ventilate i can change i can change the environment uh, you know, mechanically, I can put fans up. I can, I can natural ventilation. I can, I can clear that out. Decon wise, I'm dealing with a gas. Decon wise, I probably don't I have to use less. I can use less water. I don't have to. I can use less water. You see what I'm saying? Like just thinking of those things, knowing the the the, the physical state of it, because I knew what the vapor pressure was. It already led me to, well, I can do this for decon. I can do this to change my environment. I can, Which, if I change my environment, I can change my PPE. You see how this just leads us down this rabbit hole, but we eventually we're going to get to the answer? It's incredible. All because of the chemical and physical properties that you, that you learn. And not that you remember them all. Because I've got a NIOSH book that sits right there on my nightstand. And I love it to death, but I can't remember everything that's in there. But I sure do know where to find it. So let's talk about, continue on with chlorine. What about flammability? Because that's that's a huge concern for us, especially in the fire service, flammability. So chlorine does not have, it's non-flammable. It doesn't have a UEL or LEL or it doesn't have a flashpoint. And I want to talk about flashpoint in a second, but let me, let me uh, finish up here with the uh, flammability of chlorine. Is it? It's not flammable, but it is. Like I said it is a strong oxidizer. Right? It reacts explosively, or can form an explosive compound with many common substances if they start coming into contact with each other: acetylene, ether, turpentine, ammonia, fuel gas, hydrogen. When it hits uh, steel, I believe it releases. I don't know, I have to double check that. I know it's strong oxide, There's, there's a chemical reaction going on there. So, let's go back to the very first example I gave you of the incident in Jordan. You've got 25 tons of chlorine that just released from its container, immediately vaporized, expanded, you know, don't hold me to it, I'm making up numbers here, expanded 600 times to one. And now we know that the molecular weight is 70 and it's dropping down to the bottom of this barge. And I just told you that it can create explosive compounds when it comes into contact with chemicals such as fuel gas, acetylene, turpentine, ammonia. You see how now, okay, I got some other concerns. What do I got going on, right? But knowing that, does that mean we're going to go in and actually do anything to mitigate that? No, it does not. Because there may be nothing other to do than just to ventilate out. And um, as you'll hear from Mr. Monaco in a little bit, it's, um, you know, container triage. But what it does tell me is that if I, I know that I could possibly have these explosive compounds, I need to evacuate. I need to make what rescues I can. And if there are recoveries to be made, we'll just, you know, you have to set your priorities that those will be made later. But we have to get people away in the isolation and evacuations. All right. So back to that real quick. I told you, let me me circle back to that flashpoint. If you are dealing with a chemical that has a vapor pressure of 760 millimeters of mercury or more, I told you you're dealing with Ass, most likely when you look up if it has a flash point, it will say no. It can still be flammable. We're not let's not just talk about chlorine. Why is that? Why why is something that is in a gaseous form doesn't have a flash point? I mean, it's simple, right? What's the definition of flash point? It is the point at which a substance relieves enough vapors to flash. Well, if it's already in a Using air quotes vapor form it's already in a gas it doesn't have to do that so it doesn't meet that definition of flash that's why you'll see that okay very simple but i just wanted to circle back to that because sometimes people like well it doesn't have a flashpoint but it says it's flammable what what state of matter are we dealing with what's a gas there we go All right there are exceptions to rules nothing i'm telling you is 100 percent we always look up and we verify we use oh roman what is the Facts, science, and circumstances. Those are the three things we always use. Facts, science, and circumstances. And we always double check our work. Alright? So, we're about 46 minutes in. So, let's talk some PPE for, for chlorine. You're dispatched to a chlorine leak. Uh, you have a visible greenish yellow cloud. You're a 1st do engine company. You can see the victim over there. You already know the stuff that I told you now what PPE are you selecting to make your rescue I can tell you this much that rescues are never made in plastic suits if you are waiting for a hazmat team to show up to make a rescue change that word from rescue to recovery right rescues are made operation level personnel in bunker gears and SCBA. Now, if there is a leak that must be worked on uh, and, and mitigated, I can see I can see choosing a, a level A. Why level A? Well, I told you that if we checked our pH paper on chlorine, right? We're going to get that turned to, to red, so we know that it's corrosive. And we know that If you don't know that it can cause your skin irritation and it can cause burns, chemical burns, if it gets inside onto your skin at certain level of PPMs. Okay. But when we're talking about rescue, time distance shielding still applies to everything that we do. If I can get in, and I'm now I'm shielded with my bunker gear and SCBA, I've got I've got some shielding. And if I can make that quick grab quick out, right? My distance is short. My time in the chemical is short. I'm doing all the good and I will make that rescue in, in, in bunker gear that SCBA. If that victim is not viable, if, if it's, if it is just a recovery, we're not going in just yet. We're going to slow down. Could it be level A, could it be level B, and if, if for those of you that are listening and don't understand, level A, you know, is your vapor-tight NFBA 1991, if you want to call it, you know, level A, what, whatever you want to call them. It's your vapor-tight highest level of respiratory protection that we need, highest level of skin contact protection that we need, okay? Could you could you do it in a level B, and and I want to stay with the chemical physical properties, but yes, there are there are different ways to do this depending on what you can do in the environment and how you can upwind, downwind, ventilation, all this stuff. But I will tell you that there's been studies done by Dr. Christina Baxter that says that the skin irritation, the skin burning inside bunker gears if you're exposed to chemo- to, to chlorine, the studies that they did found that it didn't happen until you were over 500 parts per million. Idelates is 10. Skin irritation, skin burns don't start according to the study that Dr. Coutinho Baxter did at over 500 parts per million. Can I get in, make a grab, take that person out within my bunker gear and SCBA and not have 500 parts per million inside my bunker gear? Absolutely, right? So... It's a risk versus reward thing. And these are conversations when I just did a a class not too long ago, I I told the officers for sure, this is a conversation that you need to have with your group prior to even making this call. Like, this is what we're going to do. And if you feel uncomfortable about it, let's discuss it. Let's put the science out there. Let's put the facts. Let's put the circumstances. Right. But I'm just telling you, as my listeners here, rescues are not made by hazmat technicians. We just don't do it. Uh, you'll hear Mr. Monaco in a little bit. And he says something that I didn't think of till right now. But as a hazmat technician, I'll never go get the life-saving award. Not as a hazmat tech. Right? It just doesn't happen that way. So just remember that. So back to PPE. We know it's not flammable. okay? But we know that it is, does cause some skin irritation possible burns. And we definitely know that it's an inhalation hazard. So to make a rescue, we're doing PPE, uh, is bunker gear, and SCBA. That's all you got getting off your rig. So there you go, right? If we're going to go do plumbing work downrange, if we're going to go do something to actually mitigate something kind of leak, we can have that discussion. Could you tell me level A? Sure. Could you tell me level B? We can have the discussion, right? We can have the discussion, and at the end of the day, using the, the science, the facts, and the circumstances, we'll come up with the proper PPE. Man, that was pretty cool. So we went over... Let me just recap here. We went over the formula. Cl2, right? Diatomic chemical. Ideal H of chlorine. 10 parts per million. Super low. If you have a problem like, I don't know, is that low? Is that high? I, 1 million marbles in a jar? Take 10 of them out. That's how much is idea, is immediately deadly to life and health. And that's not the lowest. There's more than lower. But you'll also see some that are like... 500, 700, 1500, right? So it is it is low compared to a lot. There are some that are lower, but 10 parts per million is very low. Your PEL, your REL, TWA, right? What what can the average person be exposed to eight hours a day, 40 hours of work week? 0.5 parts per million to one, depending on which resource you're reading. I'm going to go with the 0.5. I'm going to keep them safer, right? We always talk about what we talked about is the color of it. Greenish to yellow. It's gonna have that very chlorine pungent odor. It's normally shipped as a liquefied compressed gas. Molecular weight, we discussed, seventy point nine, two times heavier than air. If you need a comparison, if you have used the the dry ice example, watch that that cloud that I use the word vapor, but I understand, you know is that that vapor that's coming off there the smoke if you will and watch where it goes like it doesn't even come out of the bowl and that's only 40 right In the metal it, it's only 40 chlorine is nearly two times heavier than that you know it's 70.9 not quite double but pretty damn close so it's even heavier than that it's not going go back to that video watch the Intermodal drop, that thing is going to go find the bottom of that barge, okay? We talked about solubility, how well something mixes with, with water, right? Chlorine has a 0.7%. The number I told you that I look for and others look for, you know, as a rule of thumb, is 10%. If it's greater than 10%, I can knock it down with my hose string. I can put it from the air to the ground and, and deal with it that way. If it's less than 10%, I'm looking to use hydraulic ventilation to move it away from from target areas or move it into a direction that's safer for everybody, okay? Using your PID, right? You got to know what bulb you have in your PID, and then you got to know the IP, the ionization potential of the chemical you're dealing with. Chlorine's 11.4. Will the PID that uses a 10.6 see it? No, it will not. anything less than whatever the PID's bulb is it will anything over it won't so 10.6 is what I personally use in my PID chlorine has 11.4 my PID won't see it okay does that mean I don't use my meter absolutely not that does not what that says that just means that my PID won't see it can you put electrochemical sensors in there to find it absolutely can you use pH paper absolutely Going back up one or two to the molecular weight, that tells me where I'm looking for. High, low, middle. We're talking about chlorine, so I'm going to be, that's where I'm putting my papers to see if I can get a hit, right? If you're talking about an unknown chemical or a a different substance in, in general with different, different molecular weight, that's going to tell you where to use your meter, right? Um, vapor pressure, we discussed that. Anything over 760 millimeters of mercury is considered a gas. One ATM or one atmosphere is equal to 760 millimeters of mercury. So when you see something that has a 6.8 ATMs, that means it's volatile. We, we compared vapor pressure to miles per hour. So something with 6.8 atmospheres. It's coming at you. It's coming to get you. Right? Versus something that has a vapor pressure of 12. We also said that vapor pressure can help us determine if we're dealing with a gas or possibly a liquid or solid. Right? It's not exact, but it gives us an idea. It, It starts pointing us in the direction of what we're dealing with. And what are those hazards? Which Of the three states of matter, which one would you rather deal with, a solid, a liquid, or a gas? And I'll let you make that decision. You can tell me your answer on one of my social media platforms, whether it's Facebook or that. Which one would you rather deal with, a solid, a liquid, or a gas? Moving on with chlorine, we discussed its flammability. It doesn't have a UEL, it doesn't have an LEL, and it doesn't have a flashpoint. But it is a very, very strong oxidizer. We did discuss that it does... React explosively and create explosive compounds when it mixes with certain common chemicals like acetylene, ether, turpentine, ammonia, fuel gas, hydrogen you know it If you go on to uh, my Facebook group and you're on there and you click under the files it shows you a bunch of household chemicals that make a bunch of stuff bad stuff. And if you look at it, I would say that 90% of you mix these chemicals together, it makes chlorine or chlorine gas. That was just uh, just a random thought there. I apologize. But check it out. It's actually very interesting. PPE-wise, we discussed it. Rescue, guys, making a rescue, making a grab, making a save. It's your bunker gear and SCBA. That's what you got. Right? I said it again. Or I'll say it again. I just said it a little while ago. Rescues aren't made in plastic suits. Hazmat technicians will never get the life-saving award. And that's okay. We're not there for that, right? We're not there. We're there to get this information out to you. Plumbing work, if you're going to have to go do some actual plumbing, and I'm using air quotes because that's the term that I use, plumbing work downrange, we can have conversations about level A, level B. We can have that conversation. Also, remember that if you're in your bunker, gear, SCBA, there's new studies coming out that in order... I'm not. Don't hold me to it. I'm just saying there's studies come out by by very very smart people, doctors and such, in the in the business that say that, you know, in order to get that skin irritation, that burning going on in your armpits and your crotch area and all these areas that that we've seen happen, usually the concentration has to be about 500 parts per million or more. So we can use our time distance shielding to make sure that we're not in there very long. We don't build up that concentration. Right? We're in and out, and we've got our shielding with our PP. That is chlorine broken down. uh, It's chemical and physical properties, right? Um, Don't forget that I told you about the periodic table, right? It belongs to the halogen family, which the halogen family contains fluorine, bromine, freon, iodine, chlorine. Nasty, nasty little column right there. All of those in that column they have something in common. And next thing, they have something in common because there's always exceptions to the rules. But to get you going in the right direction, you know what? I'm going to save this one for another episode. All right. Because we're certain we're going to start talking about using the periodic table to actually help you head in the right direction of responding to a call. But we're going to we're going to save that. OK, so. I appreciate you. That's the chemical, physical properties. Coming up next is the episode with Mike Monaco and Roman Lopez. Stay tuned. Hey, what's up, Roman? Hey, Lonnie. How's it going, man? It's going okay, man. We're just, uh, I think we're waiting on Mike to to join us, but uh, I know you're working today, man, so thanks for taking the time out and, and, and jumping in here with us. Oh, yeah, no, no problem, buddy. Um, yeah, I just hope they, they leave me alone. <laughs> well we, we today's won't be long we're not gonna do a whole hour yeah. episode today it's it's uh it's July 4th it's Independence Day and and I just wanted to get this out there so I imagine half hour or so and if yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. if Mike can make it and join us uh, i I sent him the link great I know he's also he's on duty so oh okay uh, gotcha. you know I don't know if they caught a run or or, or, or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, something like that so yeah. but uh but today what You know, while we're waiting uh, to see if he can join in with us with the link, Um, it's the beginning of the month and and we always do a chemical of the month. There's Mr. Mike. Hey, what's going on, sir? Hold on a
1: second. Let me see if I can. I didn't think it was going to jump to uh, speakerphone, so give me two seconds and I will connect my headset so
2: you don't get rebuffed. Hold on. No problem. All right. Do I sound okay, Lonnie? Yeah,
0: yeah, both of y'all actually okay. sound great. I'm actually uh, trying out a new microphone myself today, so I don't know what the audio. Will yeah, be it sounds good. On, um, playback, good. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. Good.
1: All right, gentlemen, I'm plugged into my headset. I am at work, so if there is a bee boop, I
0: may have to go. Absolutely, that's uh we we yeah, understand. same here, Mike. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I, uh, I I wanted to thank both of y'all. I know both of y'all are working today on this holiday, so thank y'all for first of all working and and thank y'all for taking uh, the short amount of time out to to join us today. But uh, today's kind of special uh for for Roman and I on our podcast. One is that obviously it's July Fourth and Independence Day, so I hope both of y'all are having a I know you're at work, but I hope you're having a, a safe, fun-filled holiday weekend. But oh, the, yeah. the second reason is, man, we, Roman and I, am, am, I'm not going to fanboy too much, right? But uh, we finally get one of the hazmat guys on our on our podcast, uh, Mr. Oh, Mike Monaco. So, Mike, all you have to do is,
1: All you have to do is reach out, my friend. I,
0: it's amazing <laughs> how that is so simple, right? But I, I think guys get a little intimidated a little bit.
1: Nah, we're just we're all just a bunch of jackasses trying to trying to do the same thing yeah
0: that's right, that's right. That's right. Um, Just a little background on you now most of our listeners know about the hazmat guys. How long have you been doing that podcast with Bobby
1: Four or five years Is that right Yeah we've Yo. done an episode a week and we're at 250 almost 250 uh, 350 episodes
0: Wow that's amazing. 350 episodes is it is it hard for you guys to come up with something to talk about every week you know
1: it's it's uh well just real quick are these going to be similar questions that we're asking on air yeah okay because i've found and i don't know how many how much you guys have done through um i found there's a, a genuine difference uh between when you ask somebody a question the first time and then you go and you interview them on air and you ask them the same questions so I would highly recommend any questions that you're going to ask on air. You don't even bring up pre pre audio because the inflection in the tone changes and it actually sounds like the person is answering the question a second
0: time. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. No, what we're literally what we're doing right now, Mike is we're just sitting here chit chatting. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no,
1: no I, I listen. I got no problem with that. All okay. I'm saying is I just, from my previous experience, I always try to, to even when I do it, you know, we'll we'll get on for the pre audio check and guys start, you know, talking about what they want to talk about. I'm like, stop, stop. I'm like, I don't want to hear this shit until we yeah. hit record. Like I want my my reaction to be natural. I want your reaction to be natural. So it's just something I always tell people like oh if this is these are questions we're gonna ask on air, save it for on air. But I didn't think they were, I just wanted to make sure.
0: Yeah, no, we're so uh Uh, roman kind of knows how it works but we're we're rolling right now so this whatever we haven't had a pre-audio check you guys haven't been kind of um up i I guess brought up to speed on what i'm going to ask you guys but so everything that's comes out of y'all's mouth is is natural and live and and that's what's going to go on our podcast so we don't all right cool yeah so back Uh, to the question how hard is it for you guys to um come up with ideas it's
1: funny so bob 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 came and he was looking i don't do podcasts i don't listen to podcasts i never did i've just now started getting to get into like joe rogan so i'm like you know a few years behind the ball and uh he's like hey you want to do this podcast i'm like what are we going to talk about like well i can think of like six subjects off the top of my head he goes do me a favor he's like make a list of stuff that you think we could talk about and we'll just go until we run out of topics and i wrote down a list of like 26 so i was like all right this is gonna last 26 weeks we got you know half a year And uh, there are times that I still go back to that list if I can't find something to talk about because it just seems like between the news, things that happen at work, questions that people ask, questions new guys in the company ask, there's always something to talk about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: Lonnie, and if I can ask something, I'd like to ask Mike something because, Mike, I've been listening to you uh, guys for a long time. I mean, all of us, you know, probably about last – Since you started, you know, we've been listening. And so that, of course, has covered a few different phases of my career uh, in in hazardous materials. Okay. And I felt even now that I have some specialist certifications, been in tech for quite a while, you know, remember myself listening to you as an ops guy, I have never felt overwhelmed or have underappreciated the information that you guys have, have given me at all of those levels, I've had epiphanies, you know, where it's like, Oh man, that's, that's how, how do y'all, I mean, how do y'all do it?
1: Because I've been, I've been a, a an, inst- a hazmat instructor since 2008. So my job has literally been to take sometimes very complex information and break it down to the level of a fifth grader. That's what we always joke around. We say, you know, like a firefighter, We're at like the level of a fifth grader. If you can break it down to the level of a fifth grader, you can explain anything. Uh, So that's what we try to do. And between the teaching that we do in the fire department, the teachings that we do on our own, the companies that hire us to come teach, the conferences that we go around and do, we just have tons of experience taking complex stuff and breaking them down on the fly. So that that's kind of what we do. We're able to, you know, Bob and I teach very much from a a point of view that we don't care what your answer is. I say this in every class I go to. I go, I'm going to ask you questions. I I don't give a damn what your answer is. I want to know your thought process. So it's the thought process that's important because we can all have the same answer, but a different thought process. And you take that same thought process, you apply it to a different scenario and it breaks down. So the the being able to pull apart thought processes and work through a problem just in a thought process pattern, it really allows you to take any subject and just kind of talk about it at will for 30 minutes.
0: Wow, very nice, very insightful. Very, and that, the way you guys instruct is what kind of, Roman and I are two of our main instructors in our department for our Hazardous Material Team. And And I've sat in so many other classes where it's just above my head, like just blown me away with numbers and information and calculations. And then we start and we listen to you guys. We're like, oh, that 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 makes sense at that level, like you were saying. So we took that mentality into teaching our hazmat tech courses as well.
1: (laughs) It's it's the best way to do it. Keep it simple and you allow people to build connections and at their own pace. You know, it's, it's, that's really what it's all about.
0: Well, uh, today we always do a, a chemical profile of the month. So this, uh, this month, uh, July is actually chlorine. The reason I picked chlorine was I just finished listening to y'all's podcast on, um, the actual incident there in Jordan. Okay. And it was interesting. As soon as that video dropped all over the internet, I think my email and my phone blew up like immediately from all these, the, the port, the port here, here, we have a, a we have pretty, pretty large pretty port. Um, I guess it's like number one in export tonnage or something like that. But anyways, the uh, the emergency management team for our port reached out to me real quick. They're like, have you seen this video? And I said, absolutely, I've seen it. They're like, oh, my gosh, we need to, we need to have a, a drill on a scenario just like that. And I was like, okay, well, let me think about it for a little bit. And um, I haven't gotten back to them yet, but – my thinking and i- heard, I listen to y'all's podcast is like that scenario and I want to know kind of where you're the area you're in that scenario is very, very unlikely to happen in our area, yes, um because we don't have intermodals like that being put on put barges and shipped off. And we just out. don't. And I even asked, I even them, said, do, y'all, do, y'all do y'all even, even deal with intermodals, intermodals throughout your port? And they're like, well, no. I said, do y'all deal with, with, deal with chlorine, chlorine in that and that amount in your port? And they're like, no. I was like, okay, so the scenario would have to, have be, different. to be different. Do y'all deal do with chlorine and that?
1: We do not. New York City is very much heavily regulated when it comes to hazardous materials. Jersey ports... Absolutely, they see stuff like that all the time, uh, and you know, you want to really get. There's, there's two places to get a really good, uh, you know, like chlorine and industrial chemical hazmat, and those are the guys from Jersey and the guys from Houston, because okay. they literally. They they literally will see it all travel through their their area and state. But as far as New York City area goes, a lot of stuff is off limits when it comes to transport, and even entering the harbors is is a no no with it. So there is tons of stuff out there, tons of modes of transportation, tons of containers that we will just that we'll just never see.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Uh, uh, like Roman, Roman, I mean, I, mean, I don't, I don't, don't want to make it like sound, sound like we like don't see chlorine because we have a large. Have a large... Water, water facility um that uses <laughs> yeah i mean we yeah, have so it coming have in, in it by in rail, rail just not just in those, not in those right. In boat.
1: right right and and you you could technically have yeah. a, a rail accident yeah. that breaks open a chlorine you know container in much the same way if you saw the, the after pictures it really wasn't too big of a tear that produced that kind of cloud
0: yeah that, yeah, was, that was it was it was interesting seeing i'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk, talk about the, about the video, video uh and if, uh, if Anyone on listening hasn't seen it. It's all over YouTube. We'll post it on our social media platforms, but they were loading this intermodal of 25 tons of chlorine and from the video, it's hard to really tell what exactly happens, but it looks like the cable snaps or something and it just drops it onto the barge or the ship. Um, and I heard y'all on your cast, so... Just assuming from what you see in the video, it looks like it had to strike the the liquid, liquid side, right? Right.
1: Yeah, I think what ended up happening is based on on the, the the looks of the damage. It probably dropped and fell onto one of the pilings uh, that a ship would tie onto. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, and because it just had that kind of you know large round, yeah. devastating sharp corner blow to it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I and I got, I got a question for you, Mike. And, Mike and... I I, I, haven't, I haven't I've been out of touch. Like, Lonnie knows I've been sick for a couple of weeks, wife week, so had surgery, you know, and, and so, so I've been, been I, haven't I haven't had a chance had to listen to the podcast. I honestly, I honestly didn't even didn't know about this happened. incident. I, when I heard <laughs> we're gonna do it, I looked <laughs> it up. And uh what what, what caught my eye was, was I I guess, I guess the, the mechanism, mechanism. And, and, and you, and see, you where see where it makes make the impact, impact. you see where I guess it it does escape the container and then it almost seems like Light, like, like an like explosion, a explosion, detonation, 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 or something that happens, um, um, do you think it was a, 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 a sort of reaction? Because chlorine, chlorine, chlorine is very, very reactive. reactive.
1: Well, like no. No, I, d- I don't think it was a reaction. I think it was very basic chemical physical properties. If you look at at um, if – let's take a look at propane, right? We, we we are very familiar with propane as firefighters as a substance that can blevy, right? The boiling liquid expands.
2: We lose him, Lonnie,
0: or I'm not sure. He, he still shows being connected. Okay. Is it me? Are you there, Mike? Yeah, yeah. No, we yeah. can hear you now, Mike. Okay.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Did it? Did it click out?
0: I'm, I'm not that's sure. Just, we just lost a little bit there, but you, but you went over the physical properties of propane.
1: Okay. Where did I end up?
0: That's. I'm assuming right there. Propane, you... Yeah.
1: Okay. So we know from the the chemical and physical properties of propane that there's something called the uh, expansion ratio right we kind of describe this when we're going through hazmat and we say listen a a gallon of propane as a liquid is going to expand 270 times the size and i I don't remember off the top of my head what what chlorine is but i'm pretty sure it's higher than that i want to say it's 320 but i could be totally wrong on that but that means that whatever size that container is when it's released it's those gases are going to expand 320 times that size And since there is no cryogenic uh, effect, in other words, it's already at room temperature, it wants to be a gas. And for the most part, probably 90% of that, whatever's in that container, literally all expands at once. So when you see that massive eruption, you're literally seeing, uh, you're seeing a blevy take place. Uh, Now, it wasn't a container that was impinged on with fire and ultimately blew open but it is still a sudden rapid release of a compressed liquefied gas. Correct.
2: Correct. Yeah. Energy. And it's a lot of it.
1: It's a lot of it. It's a lot of it with uh, a vapor pressure of eight atmospheres uh, at at room temperature. You're looking at a tremendous amount of pressure and that stuff is going to blow out. And we see the we see the exact same kind of expansion. If you were to take a look at any of the jackrabbit videos, which are the chlorine Mm -hmm, studies done out in the desert. Uh, yeah. Jack Two. They mm-hmm. they they detonated a, a a rail car, uh, put a giant hole in it, and you can just see the pressure and the expansion of the the, the vapors just because of the expansion ratio. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it, was, was very, it was
0: very very very. Depressing. There was something, there was that, something you that you guys said on, on your podcast, podcast that I I found interesting. It's different something different that we've, that we've uh, done, uh at least I, I tell my guys, guys too on, on major, major incidents like that, that. And, and it was that from a tech. Standpoint, standpoint there's really there's not really much not to do, much do on a call like that, call is, like there? that is there nothing right right yeah not, how can you, how fix, you it?
1: fix it you can't i mean no. it's all gone by the time you get there with the exception of whatever's left over from auto refrigeration but for the most part it's gone
0: yeah it's it, 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 it and that's it, what that's i've what always, always stressed it, with these guys even when we one-ton containers if there's, if there's a major release of our one-ton container, container that we, have over, that we have over at our water treatment plant or something our water treatment there and by the time we're, we're ready there, to we're make any make kind, of kind of maneuvers it's gonna be, if it's a major it's catastrophe be, it's gonna be all released, all released but, but um but y'all also but y'all talked y'all about, like, about like first do uh, operation levels what they now they there's some things that they could do right
1: right sure if you look at if you look at what the operations level, the, your normal firefighter is tasked to do at, a, at a, a hazardous materials incident. If they just follow those guidelines, which is basically, um, you know, our first primary is life, right? So we want to make sure that, that life is, is taken care of. And we want to do that on both the civilian side and our side, right? We got we to gotta know how far we can go and the risk reward of actually performing a rescue. Uh, and then we want to take a look at isolating and securing the area. And evacuation. Those are those are the things that the primary firefighters are going to be tasked to do. A situation like this, you had a massive rupture. There's no uh, remote valves to turn off. Uh, There's no real way to dissipate vapors in any way, shape or form. Those are tasks that an operation levels person could do. Uh, But a situation like that, that just you have such a blowout, um, it would be almost impossible to try to push those vapors anywhere. So I think, an op, you know, a, a first two units arriving on scene, they're going to be tasked with trying to get in as close as possible to pull out whatever victims they can as close to the incident as they can.
0: Yeah, that's that's our take, that's our on, it take on it, too. And, and I think one, I think of, the one of the hardest things hardest thing that that Roman and that Roman I deal, and deal with, especially when we're talking about new techs that have come into our program, program is. uh, is, uh a lot of the lot mentality of has always been, oh, they hear the word, they hear the word chlorine, chlorine, they're like, no oh, well, I have that's I have a level A suit, a, suit. that's yeah, I've, I've got to be in a level A, 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 no, matter a no matter what. And, um, and um, we start talking, we start about, talking that about that whole rescue whole operation, operation, operation of like, hey, if like, you've, hey, got, you've got, if you have a viable, viable, I use the word patient, care, but you got a viable, you know, victim over there, your bunker gear and SCB, I mean your SCBA for sure, but your bunker gear is going to give you enough protection, hopefully, to make that rescue. And I say hopefully it's – Cause you got to talk you about how far is how the far distance and know, the time and all that stuff. All that stuff. But uh, I, remember uh, I remember I was talking to miss uh, Christina Baxter and she back. was like, yeah, you, you've yeah, got, you got plenty got of time. To, I think the PPM think she said had to be had like over be like like 500, 500 before it gets into the bunker into gear, gear and starts, and car- starts causing, causing irritation.
1: irritation. Yeah. And I'll, I'll take it one step further. Um, uh, first Dr. Baxter. Cause she's, she's a doctor. It's okay. Uh, very defensive of, of, of my Baxter. Uh, the, you know, I, I try to, when we're teaching operations level stuff and we're talking to operations level people, if we can put things in terms of firefighting that they understand, then it makes them more comfortable. And I will tell people all the time, listen, right. We, we, we took an oath. Would I risk burning myself to go on the floor above to, to grab somebody? Absolutely. Right. Like I would absolutely go to the floor above, risk getting burned, spend some time in the bird center to try to make a grab. Would I do that for a dead body? Probably not. But what is the difference between going into a chlorine or an ammonia or some kind of a caustic environment with bunker gear? Try to push as far as my body will allow me to go to make a grab. If if you see a difference between those two, then then maybe this isn't the best profession for you.
0: Sure. sure.
1: You know, so it, it's it's just like you would at a fire. Go in as far as you can. And just like we think about in a fire, if there's a person that's in that room and I can't even make entry into that room and I'm wearing bunker gear and SCBA. Am I doing a rescue or am I doing a recovery?
0: Yeah, yeah. that's a great, that's point. A great that's, point. That's that- yeah. And I've heard you guys say it, and and we 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 stress it here too. Is that you know rescues aren't made in plastic suits; they're made in, in bunker gear. So, um yep. That's the, that. your hazmat
1: technicians will never go to metal day for a life save.
0: That's right. That's right. Ever. Ever. Just, Ever. Just... Roman, you back? You back? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I, 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 apologize. Okay. I apologize. I I, I was listening I was to mic. I just,
2: to Mike. just couldn't get my mic to come back on.
0: Great, great. great, great. Um, um, so we just, we just talked, talked a little bit about, a little about, little the, about um, the operation, operation stuff. stuff. There was, yeah. there was something was else that I listened on, on your podcast, podcast, Mike, that I thought, that I thought was, was interesting, interesting and something, something that I didn't that even I think, think about. about. But you but and Bobby we were talking we about, about. Triaging, the triaging the other, the other containers, containers that were there that were exposed to the chlorine.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, if you think about what could potentially be on there and how, like you said before, right, chlorine is highly reactive. Now, I don't think that reaction had anything to do with what you visibly saw. But if you think about the liquid or those high concentration vapors coming in contact with other metals, other containers, uh, valves, O-rings, anything along those lines, you have the potential of having unstable containers throughout that entire ship. They absolutely need to be evaluated. And so while I think the job of the technician for the chlorine is extraordinarily limited, the task of making sure that all those other containers aren't going to fail in some way, shape, or form is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah.
0: And I didn't – I mean, I knew it was highly reactive, and it wasn't until I saw it and I knew that I was going to talk to you all too about it as I started – you know, I pulled out all my resources, the NIO, everything. And I, I found it. I was like, oh, it's it's even highly reactive with like fuel – and I was like I can't even imagine because I figured, I figured that whether it's liquid and or gas it's, it's going to gas, drop down to the bottom, of that, ship, the bottom that of that ship that that it was just when I when, when y'all said that and I started thinking about it I was like holy that, cow there, there there is potential for other is issues there
1: other issues there yeah yeah there's a lot a lot of ice it's a what
2: yes I was gonna say and it's a waterway. It's going to make it even more acidic.
1: acidic. Yeah, well, you're going to definitely have some kind of an acidic vapor cloud floating around uh, on the water, potentially in the actual waterways itself. And that was one of the things that we had talked about was, all right, well, as an incident commander, like, let's say we do pull up to this. You see that vapor cloud going out onto the water. You can clearly see other boats and ships in the distance. Um, How do we start an evacuation of, of waterways? Do you even have the mechanisms in place to be able to get that started? You know, we, we think about, you know, homes and neighborhoods and it's like, OK, well, I'll just send units there and go start evacuating, go start sheltering in places. But now I've got very limited ability to, to reach out to these other vessels, other ships or boats that are in this harbor and make sure that everybody's safe
0: absolutely do mike Do do, does your hazmat team do y'all use like uh flu modeling uh, programs like cameo or something like that to help out with those kind of decisions
1: we have them and i'm pretty sure at some point we would break them out if we ever had a large incident like this um but if you don't or you're not familiar with them uh i would always say don't don't fret, use, use the meters and the metering that you have at hand. Okay, um, okay. you know, chlorine, 10 parts per million. Most, I would imagine most departments are going to have a standalone chlorine meter and you're just going to have to go and start establishing zones and figuring out where things are going and whether you're sheltering in place or evacuating based upon your meter readings. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the, the basic plume modelings are going to give you at least an idea of where to start. Uh, and they're pretty simple and easy to use. So if we were doing something right now, I would imagine that we would hit like a cameo uh, or even possibly peak.
0: OK, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm I familiar, familiar with, the, with the peak as well. As well. Um, um, do you or, and I don't, I don't want to just keep it picking on like, like your, department, your department, but, but um, um, you know, New York is York New York, York, York. So the cream of the, cream of the right, there. right there. Do you guys so use operation levels? levels uh, uh, personnel to do your air monitoring or is that a tech level
1: we we would so but that that type of scenario really has to be set up ahead of time yeah so you can't take a normal firefighter give them a meter and say go meter with this right you have to have uh you have to set your tech, you have to set your operations people up for success and you would have to give them the mission specific training ahead of time,
0: ahead of time,
1: ahead of time. time. So this is where the, this is where pre-planning understanding what is in your district and understanding what your operations are going to be from a command point of view and your resources can give you an idea of what you're going to be tasking your firefighters to do. Uh, Because if that is my plan, then I need to make sure that those people are mission-specific trained with a meter, just as they would be mission-specific trained for decon if I was going to use the the operations levels for decon. Um, you know, all they have to be properly trained on the meter. They have to know ahead of time how to use it. They have to be up-to-date on it. They have to be refreshed on it every year.
0: Man, that, Man, that, that, that Roman, I'm, Roman, I'm sure you'll I agree, with agree with me, but that's... So refreshing to hear from the experts experts themselves, themselves, right, of like Mm -hmm. mission specific stuff, because our department uses uh, everyone's trained trained at the operation level. level, And then we, of course, have our technicians technicians comprise our team. Mm -hmm. And then we have meters throughout our city. city. But some there has been a strong debate of like, like, hey, we can just hand anyone a meter and go go tell them to read read us the reading. reading. There's been a strong push to more of that mission specific to make sure that they have the training. Matter of fact, we're fixing to do a basic metering class because most guys are just you hand them a meter and they're waiting for the bell and whistle to go off. They don't understand what it's saying.
1: A hundred percent. And OSHA is really clear on this as well. This is not just like a best practices thing. OSHA is Mm -hmm. very clear that if you're going to be handed a piece of equipment uh, and you're going to be expected to use it, you have to be trained on it. You have to have the knowledge. You have to be able to show competency on it. So this is this is a lot more than just, you know, uh, NFPA mission specific standard. It's it's the law. It's the law. law. It's the law. You know, and you hand somebody a meter and somebody gets hurt because they don't they haven't been properly trained on that meter. There's going to be, you know, civil and uh, possibly legal liabilities.
0: Wow. wow. That, that again, that's, that, refreshing that's refreshing to hear because um, yeah. there's, there's a debate, a debate. I know without, without if it's, if there's a debate, a debate in my department, in my there's department, debate there's in other departments. departments. So it's good to hear, you know, the experts the expert saying, expert, hey, get those get guys get the guys training, train training they need beforehand. beforehand. Don't, don't, don't not the five, five minute class, five on, class scene. on scene.
1: Right. <laughs> right. I mean, you can do the, you know, do the training. And then uh, there's I know a lot of departments, they'll have like what do they call them in the nick of time type training. Sure. Uh, I, I know Bobby's de- uh, department that he he is also with uh, outside of New York City, he has developed YouTube channels and QR codes on meters for their operations level guys. They are trained. But if it's been nine months since they've used the meter, they can take out their phone on the way, click on the QR code, and it brings them right to the the video for a quick refresher.
2: Oh, wow. That's that really is phenomenal, man. 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 Wow. Yeah. That is, great. that is great.
1: So there is some really great t- technology out there just to be able to make sure that your guys are squared away and you want them squared away. You want to hand them a meter and know that they understand the basics so that you're getting good, accurate readings.
0: Absolutely. Roman, you got Roman, something? Yeah. You got anything yeah. else there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, one, uh, of, you the know, things, one of the Mike,
2: things, Mike, that that affects have, us at us times, times here, here uh, in our uh, department, in, department and we have a well-supported we department. department. We, got we got pretty good pretty relationships good with outside, entities. outside but, entities, but but our so city, our is, city like is like Houston's little sister, little sister, city. sister city. You know, okay. we can look okay. a lot like Houston, lot like but we're smaller, and we got a port like them, and we got, like them, like and we and got refineries, refineries like them. We, and that's, yeah, our, that's our main thing. thing. And and one of the one struggles of the that struggles we have is not necessarily playing playing nice with people, people, but getting people to play nice with us. us. And um,
1: what are you referring to industry playing with first responders or are you referring to government agencies? Industry,
2: industry, Industry. Industry. government agencies are pretty good, but I'm, I'm in in my head. I was envisioning right away. Imagine something like this happening. We show up private industry immediately. They try to get us to fence line monitor and, and keep things under wraps. They don't really. Do you all deal with anything like that in, in your
0: area? Hmm. I wonder if we lost in there for a second. Might have lost. It still shows connected, so. Yeah. You there? But that's, but that's,
2: yeah, there you go. There you, okay, I think what's
1: back. happening is my my phone goes into like a standby mode if I don't touch the screen every few seconds. Gotcha. So I'm surprised to hear you say that because in the training that I've done with industry, they've always they've they always have seemed very receptive to the you know the 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 first responder community. Um, so I'm I, I'm that surprises me a little bit. I would I would think that everybody would play nicer in the sandbox relatively quickly. I know the the industries that I've gone into to do has whopper training and do technician training. They very much are anticipating the fire department coming in to back them up. They, they almost, you know, you, you have a, they're, they're people for the most part, at least where I've been now, you guys are in, you guys may have more dedicated teams, but the industries that I've gone into, it's, it's the guy who's operating the hopper when the, 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 bell whistles and there's an emergency, he's the one who's becoming the technician making an entry. So he's kind of like, this isn't really my, my gig. I'm just kind of doing it. Cause it gives uh-huh. me an extra 3% on my pay. And I'm, I'm waiting for the fire department to come in to, to really give guidance and be the people who are going to take charge of this. Um, gotcha. but your industry is totally different than, than mine. Uh, I, I guess it, it really starts with, with, reaching out, making the contacts and, and training together.
2: Yeah. That's going to, yeah, that's
1: going to yeah. be the only way to, 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 get rid of that, that animosity uh, if any exists, you know, to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And we've actually and we've been, we, we've been getting better, better with a, a, couple a couple as, as they kind, kind of phased out, out a certain entity and, and started taking the helm themselves by establishing their own on-site dedicated units now we've seen a whole new different face to the people that we're, we're working with and and it's a very workable relationship so i, I think through attrition of, of this one organization uh we're we're definitely moving in that direction but that's been one of the things that has personally concerned me for a while was uh, the, ability uh, the ability of, of, of especially of private, organizations private organizations to play nice, play nice you know and um it, with, and with I would
1: with, I would maybe suggest going to your your you know your LEPC your local emergency planning board and uh, allow them to apply some pressure and be like listen no we're going to start we're going to start doing multi multi agency drills we're going to start working together like this is how it's going to be
0: yeah. yeah, and we got a very yeah, got proactive, proactive, proactive LEPC, so that is that is a good yeah, suggestion. Matter of fact, I'm I'm attending I'm attending, um, I'm attending, uh, I'm attending the, the LEPC meeting tomorrow, tomorrow. As a matter of fact, fact just to throw that in there. So yeah, there. So, perfect. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because yeah. really, so I will bring it up, Roman. I definitely will bring that up. Really, man, you
1: get you get an accident like what you see in Jordan, and you know you don't have a choice but to 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 get whatever help comes your way. You know, because yeah. the local industry is only going to be able to do so much. I mean, they may have the tools and techniques to mitigate what is on scene, but you're starting to get products go beyond their borders and they're going to need they're going to need help. They're going to need backup like they really should. There really should be a uh, a sense of, you know, we're we're all on the same team. You know, it's just a matter of who's showing up first and then who's helping who out.
2: Yeah, exactly. And And you don't want to you don't want to have a have Jordan type Jordan. incident. To actually, to actually, you know, start, start formulating a you know, working relationship, you know. So, yeah, that, that, that is, that is uh, something, uh, something we're definitely
1: yeah, going to be working on. Work. Yeah, because we, we look back, you know, you, you look at chemical industry accidents throughout the, the country on a regular basis, and for the most part, they're relatively localized. You know, they, they stay within the facility, but, you know, there are times that things, things go wrong, and they go wrong fast, and, uh, yeah, that's not the time to, to, you know, meet the team for the first time.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes.
0: Yes. Absolutely. 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 That's all I got. Well, well, okay, great, man. Great, we'll, man. We'll, we're sitting right about, 35, in about 35 minutes, minutes and again, I didn't I want to make this too long. long. I just wanted to uh, get our July get our 4th, 4th episode out there. Out there. Uh, uh, Mr. Monaco, Mike, Monaco, Mike I, appreciate I appreciate you coming on our, 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 our podcast. Our, our podcast. Uh, I'm glad, that, I'm you glad that, that you so, were so – Easy to reach out yeah, to, reach to out, and respond, respond quickly. I was, like I said, I was a little was bit nervous, a little nervous when I did it, but yeah. thank you so much for providing a lot of expert, lot of expert insight on some of the, questions, some of the that questions that Roman and I have. And, I have. and we're going to take, gonna the, take the, the, information the information we got, we got from you from and you spread and you it throughout, throughout here. And we're going to try gonna and try keep spreading the good hazmat word.
1: Excellent, excellent. Sure. Well, thank yeah. you and appreciate what you guys are doing. We just, we all, we're all trying to do the same thing, get information out there and make this community a, a lot smaller. And it really has over the past four years, the community itself has become a, uh, a much tighter knit and quicker information transferring community. You're no longer waiting for conferences to hear what this department's doing or these people are doing. Uh, we're literally able to give information out at the drop of a hat to thousands of people. So it's, uh, you know, this is a phenomenal forum to do that.
0: Do you yeah, do you have yeah, any conferences coming up?
1: Coming up? Uh we have uh, let me think. What's in the uh Massachusetts? Uh Massachusetts. in Massachusetts. yeah, the Massachusetts State Conference. Uh e- by far easily one of my favorites. Uh and they are absolutely open to you know to outside people.
0: Yeah, I got Beautiful. to uh, have you ever I got ever, to attend them. Baltimore, Baltimore conference oh, and, and okay. sit in on I'll y'all's in on class seat. there.
1: Oh, uh, which ones were you able to do uh which uh, ones did you do?
0: I was able to do, able to do the myths do myth busting class, class there. there. Okay. Um, that was actually uh, that was the was only actually one that I was able to, to, able to, be able to attend, attend because I had some other commitments other to other classes, class, but, but that one was, that was interesting. interesting.
1: Yeah, it's a, an interesting take on the 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 things that get passed down that uh that just become you know, biblical law that yep. actually have no bearing whatsoever in anything we do.
0: The uh, yeah, the one that, the one that I, chuckled, I chuckled, and I'm sorry, but, sorry, but I think it was – uh, he showed a video. A video. I, 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 believe I believe he did. put you he in a in level A, a suit, a with, suit some with some meters, meters to see about the breathable, breathable air. air. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, uh, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, that, that one blew, blew my mind because, because – I have been preached by old school hazmat hazmat techs that, oh, you can unclick unclick and you've got plenty of air in there to breathe for five to seven minutes. minutes. And And I never thought about the the CO buildup. Yeah. I mean,
1: you do. If you're stuck to the point of like my face piece is sucking in, you you absolutely can. But we also have to remember, like if we're if we're training that information, right, there's there's always the things that we can do and the things that we can do, but we shouldn't talk about right because as an instructor right we talk start talking about like legalities and things like that um those meters were going off above the ideal h environment so let's say something were to happen and they were like well my instructor told me i could do that and you're sitting in court and they turn around and go all right so you know the ideal h of co2 is 5000 parts per million you know that at 16% oxygen you're well over 5000 parts per million you're telling me that you instructed your student to, to take his SCBA off in an ideal H atmosphere.
0: That doesn't hold up in court. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so it's one of those things. Like, do we teach it? Yeah, absolutely. We teach it because it, 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 you need to be comfortable with the idea that that you can take a couple more breaths, but you can't rely on it as a, well, if my air runs out, I'll just breathe this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, like, yeah. 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 That, that's for sure. Hey Mike, uh, have you have you all ever come
1: to to the Hot Zone in Houston? Um, I, I'm actually not allowed at Hot Zone in Houston um, because oh. they don't they don't like my style of teaching. I apparently uh, curse too much.
2: Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> it's so just so You would have fit in just nicely <laughs> <It's>... there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's the well, uh, that's that's cool. the email that we've gotten back due to due to to. To my inability to not curse during teaching they would prefer us not attend the hot zone
2: conference <laughs> wow, wow. <I'm> sorry <laughs> so
1: to uh, it's okay it, it is what it is listen there's plenty of other conferences out there and I, I certainly won't i certainly won't change uh what i find connects with people and allows them to to learn critical information um absolutely because you know somebody doesn't like it so
2: yeah, 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 no, no, absolutely, I've man. We're 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 living we're, proof that uh, yeah. you you guys really do affect change within the hazmat community and actually empower instructors to do better in their courses. I'm I'm you know a reflection so of that. So thank you very much for being on with us today and and, uh, and and sharing your thoughts, your insight.
1: Well, you're very welcome. We're actually we're actually trying really hard to develop like a forty hour ongoing training that allows people to become better instructors we really have a really strong passion for um for for teaching and the way that we try to teach and try to connect so um you know hopefully in the future we can just keep on trucking with that
0: absolutely beautiful Beautiful. absolutely Very, very nice well, guys, well, thank guys, you thank very you much very for joining, much us. joining um, us. You guys you be guys safe at, be work at work and enjoy the, rest, the rest, of rest of the uh, holiday today. today. And, uh, and uh, Mike, Mike, again, we'll, we'll get in touch we'll get with you again and do, we'll do, another do another episode. Maybe, maybe, episode, maybe one day one you guys day can, day have can have us on your show.
1: Anytime, anytime.
0: You got it. You want to Roman, Mike, thank you very much. We'll until next week, guys, stay low, stay safe. We'll talk to you all later.
2: Thank you, guys.